Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. I was so close to just skipping today and not really uh, caring about putting out an episode, but when I looked at the upcoming uh, the upcoming weeks, I realized that there are a couple two weeks in a row where I'll be I won't be putting out a podcast. So even though it's the day before Thanksgiving. I figured, why not? Uh, I won't take too long with this episode. I know a lot of people are still at work and then get ready for tonight if you're going out and then you have all Thanksgiving to look forward to. But I figured, why not? But in, like, what is it, a couple weeks, there's, let's see, there's uh, the 27th now and then one, two, three more episodes and then two weeks with no episode because that... That next Wednesday after the 18th is the 25th, which is Christmas, obviously. And then uh, January is January 1st, which is New Year's Day. And I'm not going to be putting out an episode on either of those days, of course. So I figured I wouldn't add to an extra week of missing it and just end up uh, putting out an episode anyway. But the real shocking news so far, we'll get straight into it, is... Uh, last night, number one Duke went down to Stephen F. Austin, and it was the first time, I believe this, the exact stat was, the first time Duke lost at home as the number one team since the year 2000. Very shocking. Uh, honestly, a lot of, there are a lot of teams that, like, Kentucky's been upset. They were the number two team uh, like a week or so ago. They lost to Evansville, I think actually it is. Let me see. I need to look it up to be specific. Uh, Evansville. They lost to Evansville 67-64 and when they were the number number two team. Now they're the number nine team. So you had those guys lose. Michigan State was the the preseason number one. They already have two losses. So going into this year... I think most people knew that it was, aside from, you know, a handful of guys going into the season, uh, like James Wiseman, who we will get to in his suspension. We will get to that. Uh, but James Wiseman, Cole Anthony, Anthony Edwards on Georgia, who absolutely lit it. They lost to, Georgia lost to Michigan State, but he lit it up in the uh, Maui Jim Maui uh, Invitational. He was awesome. He is awesome. He's going to be a top five pick. James Wiseman, he's having some troubles with the NCAA. But Cole Anthony, and then, of course, you got a couple of the guys overseas with RJ Hampton and LaMelo Ball. But other than those handful of guys that most people were looking forward to watching, I guess you could throw Vernon Carey Jr. in there. But aside from them, it wasn't a stacked draft class. You know, there wasn't... 10 to 15 guys who you looked at and were like, yeah, these guys are going to be good NBA players right off the bat. Um, A lot of these guys, uh, more or less, are, they're not guys who you can throw on a team and expect them to carry, right? Like RJ Barrett is one of those guys. Zion, although he's still injured, is one of those guys. And it, it extends further beyond them, but there were a, the draft class last year was very deep. Very deep. You have a guy like 
Kevin Porter Jr. going like 20th overall or whatever it was to the Cavaliers. A guy who was projected to be a top 10 pick in the first couple weeks of the NCAA season. His, his draft stock skyrocketed. Then he got into some trouble with USC, who, which I'm pretty sure we still don't know the exact reason for why he got suspended by uh, the Trojans. But he missed uh, a large portion of the year. Still incredibly talented, but because of all that surrounding him, his draft stock fell, and the Cavs got away with a steal at 20th or whatever it was again. Grant Williams, a guy who was a runner for player of the year, uh, national player of the year at Tennessee, goes to the Celtics at like 23. So there, last year was extremely deep as far as talent-wise. This year, I'm not sure how deep it's going to be. Like, if you're not in the lottery... Even if you're not in the top 10, I suspect that the pickings will be slim. You're not going to have as much options and variety as far as the type of players that are going to be available to you the deeper you go into the draft and into the first round. Which is why it's funny because the Warriors are going to get the number one pick. They're riddled with injuries. They aren't winning games. I'm pretty sure right as of right now as it stands, they have more. Uh, they have less wins than the Knicks which is impressive because the Knicks have like five wins. So regardless, I think the draft class coming in, next year's draft class, or next year's, I should say, this this year's high school uh, seniors, the ESPN 100, is I think it's loaded. There are a bunch of dudes on there who I think are going to be absolutely phenomenal at the NCAA and the NBA level. Just real quick before we get back to, to Duke and the subject that was at hand is... Evan Mobley, uh, seven-foot center from California, signs with SC. Cade Cunningham from Texas, he's a six-foot seven-point guard. A lot like LaMelo Ball, but bigger and stronger than LaMelo Ball. And he's six-seven. He signed, he's from Texas, signed to Oklahoma State. Jalen Green, top shooting guard in the class, he's six-five. Kid is an absolute beast. He's un- currently unsigned still. Jalen Johnson. Signed to Duke. Zaire Williams, unsigned. Jalen Suggs, Isaiah Todd, signed to Michigan. BJ Boston, Kentucky. Scotty Barnes, who was ranked in the top five a year or so ago, I want to say. Now he's all the way at number 11. He signed to Florida State. Josh Christopher, a kid who I think is probably the best scorer in the entire class. He's unsigned currently. He's from uh, Mayfair High School. He's with kids like Dior Johnson, who... That kid's 15 and is already getting like tatted up on his leg and stuff. I don't know what's going on with that. But he played with Bronny in the uh, AAU circuit, I think, they played together in. But anyway, the the draft class runs deep. McCurr Maker, uh, Thon Maker's younger brother, I think that is. Sharif Cooper, Chris Paul 2.0, as it's being advertised. He signed to Auburn. You just got a lot of guys in here. The further you go, there's still a lot of guys that are very good. And that draft class, that high school class is very deep. So anyway, this draft class, this group, this crop of freshmen that came in, they there weren't a lot of difference makers. You know, talented, yes, but not guys who you look at it and you're like, yeah, they'll they could be good if they surround themselves with other talent, but there's not one dominant guy that you see and you're like, yeah, you're gonna win. Because even Duke, you got 
two top 15 guys. You got Vernon Carey Jr., number two guy in the entire draft class behind James Wiseman, or the entire recruiting class. And then Cassius Stanley, who went to Sierra Canyon last year. Now, he's even he's an old freshman. He's like 20, I think, or 19. Well, 19 would make sense. Actually, would it? He's like technically older. I'm pretty sure he might be 20. He's one of those weird... Uh, yeah, he's 20 years old. So he was born in 99. He's the same age as... Actually, I think he's younger. He's older than R.J. Barrett and Zion are right now. I think he's the same age as Cam Reddish. And he's a freshman at Duke. So I, I don't really know what the logistics were with that. He probably did like... I don't know. Maybe he did like a year of prep or whatever. Or I, I really I don't know how that happens. Um, but right now he's he's a 20 year old freshman, right? He's he's got two years on a lot of the other freshmen in this class, and he missed the game winning shot last night to send it to to win it for Duke, and it went into overtime. And Stephen F. Austin stole the ball underneath their own basket and got it out in front. And we're able to run the length of the court for a game-winning layup as time expired. It was wild and a terrible loss for Duke. Absolutely terrible. But like I said, there's a lot of top teams right now that are losing. I already mentioned the, the top three in this, pretty much the, I think, in the, the top three going into the preseason. Uh, well, the four, top four teams. I think Kansas was third. Uh, I don't. No, I don't think Kansas has had a really bad beat yet. So as you had it yesterday, last night, before the losses, you had Duke, Louisville, Michigan State, Kansas, Maryland, North Carolina, Virginia, Gonzaga, Kentucky, Ohio State were the top 10. I think Michigan lost in one of the Maui Jim Maui games, and that's why they were playing Georgia last night. Louisville's still undefeated. Duke, Louisville will probably be the new number one. Kansas will probably move up to second. Uh, I would say Michigan and Duke will probably fall down past teams like Maryland, North Carolina, Virginia, Gonzaga, teams that are still undefeated. Duke will probably be around somewhere at seven or eight, maybe even ninth. Uh, I don't expect they're going to fall far, like at least eight spots. I don't know if they'll fall out of the top ten, though. Anyway, those top three teams, again, Kentucky, Duke, and Michigan State, they all have uh, lost, bad losses this year. And for reference, it was uh, Michigan State losing to Virginia Tech 71-66 to on Monday and yesterday uh, defeating Georgia. So, And today they play UCLA, who UCLA also lost to Hofstra. Let's go, represent. Hofstra defeated UCLA at UCLA, what an absolutely terrible loss for the Bruins, but an amazing win for the Hofstra Pride. Really proud of them. Uh, but Michigan State plays UCLA today, and then Tuesday, they play Duke. So that'll be a very nice game to watch. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so Michigan State un- losing to unranked Virginia Tech. Kentucky losing to Evansville, and now Duke losing to Stephen F. Austin. All really bad losses by top five preseason uh, preseason top five teams. Now for James Wiseman, because we're on the topic of 
college basketball. James Wiseman has been suspended for 12 games. And some people believe that the punishment was harsh because Memphis had tried to avoid or push delay the, the suspension. So they were doing all these things to allow him to play, and James Wiseman ended up playing the first three or four games of Memphis's season. So because of that, now the NCA, it seems in retaliation, gave him a little bit more of a harsh, a, a longer sentence than most people. A longer sentence. Well, I sound like it sounds like he's going to jail. That's how stupid the NCA is. But they gave him a longer suspension than most people probably thought he deserved. Well. That is poorly worded because most people didn't think he deserved to spend suspension at all. Most people, most rational people, believe the NCAA is filled with hypocrites and liars and morons who don't know what they're doing and they're just money-grabbing psychos, right? No one, like, I don't think many people respect NCAA officials when it comes to them implementing the rules on ineligibility because most of the rules they have on that are stupid, they're dumb. They make no sense. They're too harsh. And they all say it's not fair, blah, blah, blah. Like, they're just not enough money, as the great Jay Billis would say. They're, remember, there's just not enough money. Whenever one of these new teams gets a brand-new state-of-the-art facility for football or basketball, they put Alabama's getting, like, millions and millions and millions of dollars of renovations for, like, VIP suites for their football stadium. But remember... There's just not enough money to pay the kids. There's just not enough money. It's dumb. It is so dumb. So what happened was, I believe it was $11,500 is, is what was found that, I guess, Penny Hardaway gave to the Wiseman family to assist in their move to Memphis. So now the NCAA, they suspend James Wiseman for 12 games and they order him to pay. Pretty much they find him and they said they have to, he has to give back $11,500 to a charity of his choice. How stupid is that? Not only are they suspending him for 12 games, but they're pretty much fining a kid $11,500 when he has no source of income. It makes absolutely no sense. None at all. Imagine you were in college or the times the time you were in college and you get in trouble with the school and they order you to pay $11,500. Where do you expect to come up with that money from? Now, the... There, there are complications and ways that James Wiseman could probably get out of this. And I think most people are waiting to see what exactly his move is. Because the NCAA, didn't, they're not making him pay it right away. They just said, before you leave school, so before he leaves Memphis, whenever that is, he has to pay the $11,500. Now... What happens if he just drops out right now? Says, screw it. The NCAA has ruined my time here at Memphis. I'm sorry, Coach Hardaway. I'm sorry, Penny. But it's just, it ain't going to happen. And what he just withdraws from the school. 
what are they going to do? That's that's my like big question. Like, what are they going to do? They're not going. They can't come after. He dropped out of school. Like, they're going to come after him for that eleven and a half thousand dollars? No. I would assume at that point it probably falls back on the university. But it's just a weird situation. Like, he could just say no. Like, I'm not paying it. There's a very real chance he just doesn't pay it. And then I assume at that point it would fall back onto the school, which that school tried very hard to try and get him to play and fight the NCAA for as long as they could. So I assume they wouldn't have a problem paying $11,500 if it fell back on them. But the point being is... The punishment that the NCAA gives out is, it's incomprehensibly stupid. It just, it really just does not make any sense. None of their rules do. They rule kids ineligible for stupid, for trans, the transfer rule is so broken, it hurts my head. There are some kids who transfer and they get eligibility right away instantly and there are some kids who get ruled ineligible for no reasons both there are multiple people Jalen Hurts transfers from Alabama to Oklahoma immediately gets granted eligibility but some kid who wants to transfer from like a tight end who wants to transfer from like Iowa to some other smaller Division One school, no, sorry, ineligible. You gotta wait a year. Why? And that's obviously rhetorical because we all know why. Jalen Hurts is gonna pull in so much goddamn money for the NCAA while playing for Oklahoma. It's it behooves them to allow him to play immediately at Oklahoma, whereas this other kid who isn't a blockbuster name, isn't a house, isn't a household name, doesn't matter. I, I can go on and on about how dumb the NCAA is and how much they make college sports worse. California is getting it right, once again. They get a lot of things right. And they're trying to institute this rule by whatever it is, uh, 20. 23 or 2022 where kids are going to be able to make money off of their likeness so jersey sales uh video games if there are any video games that end up getting they when they whenever they come come back if they do but yeah it's it's just it's mind-boggling man it just doesn't make any sense I, i don't know what to make of it the mlb has instituted an all mlb team which finally is hap- I mean it's finally happening. Thank God. It- it's very similar to the all NBA team that the NBA has, of course. There'll be I don't know how many teams. I think I know for a fact there's two teams for the all MLB teams. I don't know if they have a third all MLB all MLB team, but we'll see. Uh but they have we're gonna do a live vote now because I haven't voted. I just pulled it up. Um Yeah, okay, so voting ends 5 p.m. on Tuesday, December 3rd. So let's vote. First base, all MLB team. Jose Abreu, Pete Alonso, Josh Bell, Freddie Freeman, Yuri Gurriel, Matt Olson, Anthony Rizzo, Carlos Santana. Now, the easy choice would be Pete Alonso. 
53 home runs, 120 RBIs. He only batted 260. I'm going to go with Freddie Freeman. Because Freddie Freeman's a beast. 295, 38 home runs, 121 RBIs, uh, 938 OPS. I'm going with Freddie Freeman. Pete Alonso would probably get my second team vote. Second base, Ozzy Albies, Jose Altuve, DJ LeMahieu, Whit Merrifield, Max Muncy, Jonathan Villar. Obviously, I'm going DJ LeMahieu. He has the second most home runs behind Max Muncy out of all these second basemen. He has 26, Muncy has 35. He has the most RBIs by, well, not by far. Max Muncy has 98, but he has 102. He has an 893 OPS. That's second to Altuve at 903, but he batted 327. 102 RBIs, 26 home runs. I mean, LeMahieu is the obvious answer here. Should have been the third runner. The He came in fourth in MVP voting. He should have been a top three guy. Shortstops, Tim Anderson, Javier Baez, Xander Bogarts, Frank, Frankie Lindor, Jorge Polanco, Marcus Simeon, Trevor Story, and Glaber Torres. Now, because I voted for DJ LeMahieu, I can't be biased. I'm not going to vote for Glaber, although he had an incredible year with 38 home runs, 90 RBIs, bad 278. I, uh, unfortunately, am going to have to go with Xander Bogarts. By far the most RBIs out of all these shortstops at 117. The next best is Marcus Simeon with 92. So, blows everyone out of the world with uh, RBIs. Has... Tie or has close to the most home runs. He only has five less than Glaber Torres, who had the most out of all shortstops with 38. And he also batted over 300 at 309. So Xander Bogarts gets my vote for shortstop. Third base, Arenado, Bregman, Chris Bryant, Matt Chapman, Rafael Devers, Josh Donaldson, Eduardo Escobar, Jan Mancata, Mike Moustakis, Anthony Rendon, and Eugenio Suarez. It's a close one, but I'm going to have to go with Anthony Rendon. The guy is a beast. He led all Major League Baseball with RBIs at 126. Batted 319, 34 home runs. Had over 1,000 OPS. The only other person who I would probably have to go to is, of course, the AL. Both of them MVP candidates for the NL, Anthony Rendon. And the AL would probably have to be Alex Bregman. But I'm going to give it to Anthony Rendon. Catchers. Wilson Contreras, Mitch Garver, Yasmani Grandal, Roberto Perez, JT Realmutu, Gary Sanchez, Christian Vasquez. This one's actually tough. Uh, the catcher position is is interesting. None of them have great averages. 275 or 276 from Christian Vasquez is the best, but that's .001 better than JT Realmuto. Mitch Garver had a hell of a year. Oh my god. 273, 31 home runs, 67 RBIs, 995 OPS. Jesus. I'm going Mitch Garver. That's that's impressive. I did not think he had that good of a year. But I'm going Mitch Garver for Minnesota. And designated out uh designated hitter, I should say. Almost a designated outfielder. Jesus. Designated hitter. Jordan Alvarez, the AL rookie of the year. Nelson Cruz, Edwin Encarnacion, JD Martinez, and Jorge Solar. Uh, I think I'm actually... Mm, I'm going to go with Jorge, Jorge Solar. It's close. Actually, no, I can't go Jorge Solar. I got to go Nelson Cruz. Nelson Cruz had a beast year. Oh, my goodness. Uh, over 1,000 OPS, 311 average, 41 home runs, 108 RBIs. I would pick Jordan Alvarez, but 
Cruz has essentially the same numbers with double the amount of home runs and RBIs. Almost double the amount of home runs and uh, like 30 uh, 30 more RBIs. So I'm going with Nelson Cruz. Outfield, you get to select up to three players. All right. Ronald Acuna Jr., Cody Bellinger, Mookie Betts, Charlie Blackman, Michael Brantley, Bryce Harper, Max Kepler, Cattell Marte, Jeff McNeil, Austin Meadows, Eddie Rosario, Juan Soto, George Springer, Mike Trout, Christian Yelich. Aaron Judge is not even in consideration, which is... I, I, whatever, man. I, I Jesus Christ. Well, I'm going Ronald Acuna Jr. because he almost had a 40... 40 year, 41 home runs, 37 stolen bases. He missed uh, the last like three or four games of the year. He was uh, battling, I-, I think it was a hamstring problem. So he missed a couple games where he probably could have gotten it. Going with Ronald Cunha Jr., obviously got to go with the NL MVP, Cody Bellinger, which just leaves one spot open. And I'm going to give it Cattell Marte. Oh my goodness. Yo, there's. Baseball is such a long season. There, When you're in New York or even the East Coast, West Coast, there are a lot of teams. If you're not a diehard fan, a lot of guys are just going to slip under the radar for you. But Cattell Marte, Jesus, 329, 32 home runs, 92 RBIs, 981 OPS. He had an amazing year. Oh, my God. Now... I could vote for Trout, but honestly, I don't. Jesus, do I have? I have to vote for Trout, don't I? Damn it, I have to vote for Trout. Oh man, Cattell Marte getting completely overshadowed by so many of these guys: Yelich, Trout, Acuna, Bellinger. But I'll tell you what: the the second team. I'll give you my second team right now if these are all still the the candidates. Uh, Cattell Marte, Christian Yelich, and probably Michael Brantley or Charlie Blackman will probably get the the second team vote. But that's it. Mike Trout, Bellinger, and Acuna Jr. Starting pitchers, vote up to five players. Shane Bieber, Walker Bueller, Garrett Cole, Patrick Corbin, Jacob DeGrom, Jack Flaherty, Lucas Giolito, Sonny Gray, Zach Granke, Clayton Kershaw, Lance Lynn, Mike Miner, Charlie Morton, Eduardo Rodriguez, Hyun Jin Ryu, Max Scherzer, Mike Soraka, and Steven Strasburg and Justin Verlander. Mm, Lucas Giolito really, uh, he really dropped off. He finished with 3-4-1 ERA. He had a fantastic start to the year. Well, Patrick Cor not Patrick Corbin, excuse me. Garrett Cole is the obvious, and so is Jacob DeGrom. They're automatic, too. Um, I honestly might leave Justin Verlander off because I did not think he deserved to win the Cy Young at all. Like, not even close. Clayton Kershaw had an excellent year. I'm going to throw Max Scherzer on there, of course. Uh, Steven Strasburg and Hugin uh, Ryu. And that's my top five. Garrett Cole, DeGrom, Ryu, Scherzer, and Strasburg. I'm leaving Verlander off because he did not deserve to win. I don't know. That's just... I mean, I could. Le- I should probably leave Scherzer off if I'm being unbiased, but... 
damn it, I have to. I have to leave Scherzer off. Verlander's getting on. God damn it. I hate trying to be objective, but Verlander, I mean, he he's just, he has better stats than Scherzer. I can't put Scherzer over him. Relief pitchers, vote up to two players. Aroldis Chapman, Ken Giles, Josh Hader, Brad Hand, Liam Hendricks, Seth Lugo, Roberto Asuna. <laughs> Roberto Asuna, wow. Uh, Taylor Rogers, Will Smith, Brandon Workman, Kirby Yates. Uh, well, obviously, Aroldis Chapman. And I think Josh Hader will have to be my top two picks. 37 saves each. Brad Hand's pretty good, but he had a high ERA for being a closer. 3-3 ERA. Yeah, I think Chapman and Hader, that's, that's a runaway. I got to fill out all this stuff. Oh, geez. Okay, email address. All right, there you go. Our official selections, one more time. First base, Freddie Freeman. Second base, DJ LeMayhew. Shortstop, Xander Bogarts. Third base, Anthony Rendon. Catcher, Mitch Garver. Designated hitter, Nelson Cruz. Outfield, Acuna Jr., Cody Bellinger, Mike Trout. Starting pitching, Garrett Cole, Jacob deGrom, Hugh Jin Ryu, Steven Strasburg, and Justin Verlander. Relief pitcher, Aroldis Chapman, Josh Hader. I think that's a pretty good team. That's a pretty fair first all-MLB team. The inaugural first 2019 All-MLB team. I think it's a great idea that they did this. I think it's a, a step in the right direction as far as gaining outside interest. Now, the voting is 50% fan, 50% panel. So hopefully, it's not too lopsided with fan favorites like the All-Star game is, and I think the panel really uh, evens it out in that regard. But it's, it's going to be tough. I mean, there are a lot of selections. I got, like, again, when I was picking the outfields, you saw my reaction. Cattell Marte for the Diamondbacks had an amazing year. Like, a career year, a career amazing year. A year that some guys dream of having. And he's left off the first the first team for all MLB in place of the two MVPs who happened to be outfielders with Trout and Bellinger. And then I picked Acuna because he almost had a 40-40 year, the closest we've seen. Yelich also had a 40-40 year. And I would have picked Yelich over Bellinger if he won the MVP as well. Just like Trout and Yelich both missed the the um, the end of the year. They I think Yelich missed a couple more games than Trout, but their seasons were cut short. They didn't get to play out the entire year. Yelich came up short and lost to Bellinger. Trout did not. He ended up winning. So how had Trout lost, someone else probably would have gotten on that list uh, for outfielders. It probably would have been uh, Marte or Yelich. But I had to go with the two MVPs, of course, with Trout and Bellinger. And then, like I said, Acuna phenomenal year for him but like I said I think it's a step in the right direction as far as baseball trying to expose themselves and their players more and how amazing a lot of these athletes are and how great baseball is and how much diversity there is in the size and uh I guess shape if you want to call overweight guys <laughs> different shapes but uh, all the different size uh, that you can get 
from different baseball players. You know, you don't have to be the biggest, the strongest, or the fastest to be a great baseball player. And I think this is a way of really showcasing that. And we'll see how much consideration is. Now, this isn't going to be a factor for probably decades. Actually, definitely decades. Um, where you have guys who stack up all MLB, all MLB teams. How much of a, a factor is that really going to play into uh, Hall of Fame votes? Or, you know, something like that, right? Who, like, all-star games are taken into consideration for Hall of Famers now, but it, not not much, right? It, usually, the guys who are having amazing years and, and are, are recognized and get into all-star games, but sometimes you have borderline guys. I don't know how much of a factor all-star games would play into that decision of them getting to a Hall of Fame or not. All MLB teams could be a way to replace all-star game uh, votes, right? With the NBA, all-star games are cool if you get into the NBA, but if you're on an all-NBA team, that holds a significantly higher standard than if you were in in the all-star game, right? Like You cannot make an all-star game and then make an all-NBA team. The Green Bay Packers got embarrassed on Sunday night football. And both primetime games, main primetime games, Sunday night and Monday night, were blowouts. Uh, The San Francisco 49ers destroyed Aaron Rodgers. The Packers' offense was... It, it, it was it was decimated. No one could get open. Aaron Rodgers could not get the ball to anybody aside from Devontae Adams once. So they had some serious, serious, serious problems getting it together. But that the San Francisco 49ers are the real deal. Again, one loss. It was, it was in overtime to the Seahawks, and they should have won. They If it were not for a missed field goal, they would have beaten the Seahawks. So... Aside from that, I mean, they've been almost flawless. Like, that defense is the heart and soul of that team. But Jimmy Garoppolo is having a a hell of a year. He's doing incredibly well, and he gets overlooked. So Richard Sherman, he had a press conference, and I'll I'll play the clip because it's worth hearing from from his voice because Richard Sherman... uh, Let's just say he has a, a conviction about him when he talks. Uh, you you need to hear. You need to hear what he has to say. So this was from a couple days ago. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo is our leader, and we will follow him into the darkest of dark. It's incredibly important. He's the leader of the team. You know, quarterback is the leader of this team. Jimmy Garoppolo is, is our leader, and we will follow him into the to, to the darkest of dark. We'll follow him into a dark alley, and I guarantee you, you won't touch him. Um, because you got guys that he goes to battle and to fight for us every day, and we have we have an obligation to go to battle and to fight for him. And you hear you hear some of the noise and things said about him, and it's frustrating because we see him every day. We see what kind of work ethic he puts in, the hours that he puts in preparing, the first one in, the last one out. The guy looks for no credit. He all he does is encourage his teammates and put more work in. And then you have people nitpicking, nitpicking. We run for three hundred yards. They're like, well, he didn't throw a lot. We ran for 300 yards. 
You know, then he throws for 400, and they're like, well, I think he got outplayed by Kyler Murray. And Kyler Murray barely had 100 yards passing. And you, and you, and you start to laugh at these things, but you're, you're like, oh, the, 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 the goalposts keep moving with him. And the one thing you can appreciate, and I said this before, is you can appreciate being good enough that people got to make excuses for why you're good. He's a good enough quarterback that people have to make excuses. They have to move the bar. They have to, oh, my God, he didn't throw for 400 this day. Now his passer rating is 145 on primetime against, against one of the best teams in football, and I'm sure they'll move the goalpost again. Then they'll say, well, we didn't run it good enough. Like, he's not a scrambler, so his yards per run, man, he needs to pick that up. He took a, he took a couple sacks. It's like, wow. Well, I mean, what else can the guy do? He's helping his football team win football games, and he deserves a ton more credit for that. So Richard Sherman, obviously one of the most outspoken guys when it comes to speaking to the media and speaking his mind. He speaks the truth most of the time. I can agree with most of the things that he says, uh, about, especially about his team and his teammates. The 49ers are legit. Jimmy Garoppolo is a good quarterback. And I, he he makes a solid point. They There's a lot of people who start, they start like, rationalizing and making excuses about why he's so good or why he's having a good year, why he has a good game. Aside from a couple of hiccups in the beginning of the year, and now in the beginning of the year, the defense did save his ass uh, for a couple weeks in a row there. But since they had an early bye week, I think it was like week four or five they had a bye week. Since their bye week, they, he, he's been he's been great. There's no getting around it. Like Jimmy Garoppolo has been a good quarterback. And I think right now it is fair to say that he runs through San Francisco. Seattle probably has the biggest advantage, mostly because they're on the West Coast as well. But we have seen teams from the East Coast go into San Francisco and just get absolutely annihilated. And... We've seen San Francisco come to the East Coast, and they've played well. So I, I don't know what it is, but it, it is it has been tough for anyone on the West Coast to go to, anyone who's not on the West Coast to go to San Francisco and play the Niners because they have been dominant. Not, not Obviously, they've not been dominant, just not at home, but everywhere they've been, at, they've been dominant. As for the other Sunday night game, the Rams... The Rams are bad. They're they're out. They're done. They're cooked. Over. They 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 are not good. I don't know what's happening. I don't know if Listen, last year we were talking about Sean McVay being the the kid genius, boy genius, right? Knew every what to do with everyone and everything. Now it seems like he can't get out of his own way and teams have figured him out to a T. We also see that with Matt Nagy. The Bears are another problem. They beat, they beat the Giants, but the Bears stink. The Bears are bad. Matt Nagy, he's in trouble. I mean, he won Coach of the Year last year, and now he's in trouble. Like Him and McVay are guys that have gotten figured out by everyone. And McVay, I don't know if it's... Listen, Gurley being the way Gurley is right now does not help the Rams at all. Todd Gurley was a machine last year, and going into that playoff run, he had some injuries. He has that whack, busted knee. I I don't know what the extent of it is. Does anyone know what the extent of that is? Like, 
uh, is it a degenerative thing? What what is going on with his knee? Because his work, he had his best game of his of his uh his season last week. He had like twenty five carries, ninety eight yards rushing, couple touchdowns. I think at least one touchdown. Easily the most productive game of his season. And then the Rams just, I mean, they don't give him the ball nearly enough. And I don't, like, that's load management. It has to be load. Like it's uh, The only explanation is load management. And that's obviously the reason. There's something wrong with him. Is he ever going to be 100%? Because if he's never going to be 100%, the Rams are in some deep shit. Because they paid him a lot of money. And quite honestly, without a good running back, if Jared Goff is throwing 50 to 60 times a game, which we saw him, he threw for like he threw like 65 times against the Buccaneers in that shootout that they lost in Tampa. Or in LA, actually, I think it was. Um, but he, if he's throwing the ball that much, the Rams are going to lose. Because he, as talented as Jared Goff is, he benefits from having that running game. He's not a guy where it's like you can plug anyone into that backfield and it works out for him, right? Like Tom Brady's a guy where doesn't really matter who's in the backfield. Peyton Manning was one of those guys. Doesn't matter who's in the backfield. You hand the ball off. If they're an average running back, they'll do well. And if, like if you if you even have the the instinct of what's going on with in the backfield. It helps the passing game a lot. When people are playing the Rams now, Gurley, like, they don't run the ball. They don't run the football. So, what do you, you're just going to play to the pass and then adjust if there is a run. And Goff, like, he's not that talented to be carrying an offense like that. He needs help. The Ravens, I mean, they, they had their way. They had their way with the Rams. It it was ugly. It got ugly fast. Really fast. Jackson put up three touchdowns in the blink of an eye. It was disgusting. He ran all over the Los Angeles defense. He threw all over the Los Angeles defense. The, Ra- the Ravens defense just smothered the Rams for without any chance to breathe. Marcus Peters and Jalen Ramsey getting into it after the game. Of course, Jalen Ramsey keeping his helmet on while Marcus Peters was yapping without his helmet on. But, I mean, <laughs> Marcus Peters, he he actually, he made off like a bandit. He went, he's on, when he got to Baltimore, he has two picks for touchdowns already, I believe, pick sixes. Whereas Jalen Ramsey, he went from a, a Jaguars team that was mediocre to a Rams team who we thought, hey, real playoff chance. I'm excited to compete. Nope. Guess what? Joke's on you, dude. They're mediocre also. I mean, Jalen Ramsey's got to be fuming. And I don't know how much is left on his contract if they... No, because the he wanted to get paid from the Jaguars, I think. I don't think... like He might leave. <laughs> he might leave. Yeah, so he was signed with the Jaguars on a four-year deal in 2016. So he has one season left uh, for the with the Rams. I don't know what's going on with him or how much the Rams have been struggling impacts his decision. I assume a lot because the guy, 
as, as much shit as Jalen Ramsey talks and as much problems as he seems to cause, he has always maintained that all he wants to do is win. He hates losing, which you can respect to a level, right? So if the Rams don't start winning, he's out. Easily. And he'll go to a competitor that needs a, a lockdown corner. But I'll tell you what, there's no one better than Stephon Gilmore. That dude is a monster. And me and my friends always talk about it every time we see the Patriots play and we see Gilmore Gilmore run around the field following the best wide receiver that the opposing team has. He loves the challenge and he locks them down constantly. It's a guarantee at this point. Like, if Stephon Gilmore is guarding you, you're not getting open. It's just the way it is. He's the key part of that Patriots defense. And me and my friend said again, when we were wa- when we watch the Patriots defense, like, you see Stephon Gilmore, and it should have been obvious when Belichick signed him to a, a, de- a deal like they signed him to. Because Belichick doesn't throw out deals like that to anybody. So when you see a guy on defense, like you saw happen with uh, with a Jamie Collins, great player on the Patriots, went to the Browns, sucked, came back to the Patriots. He's good again. Stephon Gilmore, they drafted him, and it's just been it's been a wrap ever since. Like they it, they 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 signed that guy real quick. And he was drafted by the Bills, excuse me. So when they uh, signed him, they signed him quickly. They they knew they had something special. But he, I forgot he was drafted by the Bills. But anyway, we're running uh, close to an hour here, so I think I'm going to wrap it up for this episode of From My Point of View. Thank you all for listening. Have a safe Thanksgiving Eve night if you're going out, and a happy Thanksgiving tomorrow. I'll talk to you guys all next Wednesday. Tastes like strawberries on a summer evening And it sounds just like a song I want more berries and that summer feeling It's so wonderful and warm Breathe me in, breathe me out I don't